So you told the Phoenix Suns no. Mm-hmm. You turned it down. Yeah. Was there a part of you that wanted to try to do both? I have transferable skills. And I think a lot of people think, okay, if you go from one thing to the next thing, it's completely new. It's not. It was a snapshot moment, these moments in our lives where you can remember exactly where you're at. I was going from seven in the morning to seven at night. I had prepared and prepared. I had done that, I tallied every time I gave that talk to somebody, to my wife, to myself, 163 times. Training all these NBA players, it's everything that I'd wanted to do. But I just was not finding joy in going to the gym in the morning. I would ask my wife, I was praying that players would not show up because I was just so worn out. If this you know, works with NBA athletes, it's probably something that everybody needs to be able to tap into their mindset and know how to optimally perform at their highest level. Welcome to the show, David. Appreciate you having me on. Dude, I am so excited to have you here. This is uh, long awaited, long overdue. Finally got you in studio so we can hang out. I can get into the brain of the great David Nurse. It's a dangerous thing. I don't know if that's good or bad, but we'll find out. Well, I know it's well sought after around this country (laughs) and world because you are one of the top motivational speakers. Thanks, man. And I guess my first question, coming from your background, being a professional basketball player, working with NBA teams, and still doing that, but pivoting to now Mm -hmm. helping business owners and getting into the mindset. What kind of happened to make you say, you know what, I have more to give outside of basketball and I can help inspire, motivate, and teach others? Phenomenal question. So I remember it vividly. It was a snapshot moment, these moments in our lives where you can remember exactly where you're at. It's 2019. I was on the court in Santa Monica training Wasserman agent players. So this was, I mean probably five all-stars on there, 20 stud NBA players. And I was going from seven in the morning to seven at night. And from the outside, and if I was looking at my little David, that would have looked like the greatest thing to do, be training all these NBA players. It's everything that I'd wanted to do. But I just was not finding joy in going to the gym in the morning. I would ask my wife, I was praying that players would not show up (laughs) because I was just so worn out. And I realized that, I mean, all my identity had been tied to basketball. It's the only thing I'd ever done since I can remember my first memory. And I just remember just being like, just worn out, collapsing of exhaustion on the court. I'm like, do I really love the actual, you know, X's and O's or telling someone to hold their follow through the 45th millionth time? And I didn't. But what I did love about it was inspiring the players, showing them their full potential giving them more hope outside of just the the jump shot or the dribble move and seeing them become really excited in it and helping them formulate a plan mentally more than physically to continue to grow. Like if this you know, works with NBA athletes, it's probably something that everybody needs to be able to tap into their mindset and know how to optimally perform at their highest level. And I didn't really know how to get into it in in terms of speaking or writing books or coaching CEOs. And I had an offer from the Phoenix Suns to run their entire player development. The GM was a good friend of mine. I was consulting for them. And everybody's like, wow, you're going to get back in the NBA, back in NBA coaching. That sounds great and all. But this one friend of mine, his name's John Gordon. He's an author and Mm -hmm. speaker. 
great, great friend of mine, he challenged me. He's like, is that really what you want? Do you really think that's what God is calling you to do, just be in the basketball court? And I thought about it. I was like, well, he's probably right. I I'm leaning into this because I think this is what I have to do because my identity is basketball, and it's the only thing I've ever done. So I took the challenge, bet on myself, and just started writing. Started writing books and asking him a ton of questions because he'd been there before. He was a, I mean, a renowned speaker, mm -hmm. so like I didn't have to try to figure it out myself, and he took me under his wing. And I remember the first talk that I ever gave, I, I didn't know like anything about keynote speaking or how to book talks. I had a friend who worked at Nestle Australia. And it's I'm a big company. Yeah, yeah. It's, I probably shouldn't be saying this if they're listening to this, but that was my first <laughs> is what it good, is. Good products, Nestle. Yeah, totally. They own everything. Yeah, they really do. I didn't realize that yeah. at the time. So I asked him, like, who books your speakers? So he sent me an email, and then I, you know, you go on down the line of email after email, and I finally got to somebody who was in charge of doing so, and they're like, oh, send me your speaking reel. I didn't know what a speaking <laughs> reel was. My wife's an actor. We hired her acting coach and rented out a little church studio type of thing, real small. I brought in different outfits. We brought in some friends, so it looked like the place was packed, and I was given one-liners in different ways, so it looked like I'd done it a million times before. I hadn't. And I finally get on the call with the, the actual guy who's booking it. I'm like, how am I at this situation? And he said, all right, we like your stuff. <laughs> we'll, we'll take you. What's your fee? And I said a number that I thought was really high. He's like, yeah, totally. Like, Man, I should have asked for more. But it's the, that transformation was, is also a, you know, I hadn't done it before. But I did know that I had transferable skills of speaking to basketball players, doing tons of basketball camps all over the world. So it's not like I hadn't spoken before. Mm -hmm. I just hadn't done it in that setting. So I gained a lot of confidence from knowing I have transferable skills. And I think a lot of people think, okay, if you go from one thing to the next thing, it's completely new. It's not. Right. But then when I step on stage, now. <clears throat> How many people were at that first event? There was, I mean, it was probably uh, 1,500. It was a it was a solid. It was their yearly kickoff. It was a. It was a. That's a big first stage. Big first stage. Yes, big first stage. So when I go up there now, um, obviously nervous as can be, but I had prepared and prepared. I had done that. I tallied every time I gave that talk to somebody, to my wife, to myself, 163 times. Oh wow! So but like before that, I didn't know that you had to prepare that much, that many times. And, and a friend, another friend, told me he's like, if you go up there thinking you're just gonna wing it, you're done. You will, you will absolutely flop. So I, that so fear of God in me in that. Do you have a, a you you have a written in memorized speech? Well, I did then. Yeah, did. I'm did. Saying, oh, totally. Oh, I was so like I was visually seeing my next thing. Now, as a speaker, you you don't necessarily want to be like so rigid, stuck in your ways, because you want to you know have the audience feel it. Sure. But I'd never done it before, so I was pretty much memorizing word for word, slide for slide. And it went great. It yeah. was one of those moments, too. Like I, I started, then I looked down at the clock, and there was 20 seconds left. I was hitting it all on point, like, oh, my gosh. But everything, so that's kind of how I transitioned in from there. You get the video, you send it mm -hmm. out, and everything like that. But, um, yeah, I guess long answer, that's the transition from on court, taking the mental aspect of it to use in different fields. So you, you quickly said you bet on yourself. So you told the Phoenix Suns no. Mm -hmm. You turned it down. Yeah. Was there a part of you that wanted to try to do both? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, 
the GM was going to give me full autonomy to run it however I wanted, bring in sleep coaches. I was totally into optimization, you know, every aspect of it. I was going to be able to run it however I wanted to. So I was thinking this is an opportunity of a lifetime. It is, and, an and I totally wanted, I totally wanted to do both. And that's a huge struggle of mine, as it is, of the the shiny object yeah. syndrome. It is, it is my what I call the action archetypes. In in the book that I just wrote, there's nine action archetypes. These are the reasons people hold themselves back from taking action. It can be the allodaxophobic, which is fear of other people's opinion, the burnt, where you're burnt by the past in a situation, the perfectionist, but mine is the distracted. Not distracting like I'm, you know, I'm scrolling Instagram or getting notifications, but the shiny object. There's so many good opportunities. How do you pick one? How do you pick one? How do you pick your lane? How do you know, like, how do you just go full in on that when there's all, the, all these other great masterminds to be at or this and that to be at? but to stay just rock solid focused on your vision. So that's what I had to make that decision of. I can't do both and I'm going to turn it down and I'm going to bet on myself. But I think either one was kind of betting on yourself. So there had yeah. been, when you, when you made the decision to bet on yourself, did you have in your mind this future David that said, I'm going to be a world-renowned totally. speaker? Yeah. Is that Was that the intention? Yes, goal? absolutely. Was Author and speaker. Author and speaker. And I just started writing. I got on the on the treadmill. I walk when I write. That's yeah. when I find my, my in the zone. And I just wrote. I wrote for an hour a day. It didn't matter if I wrote two pages or two words. I was just committed like a workout to write for an hour a day. And I had no idea what I was doing when I was writing my first book. I just wrote story with point, story with point. There was like 90 different stories, and I got blessed to have a great editor who helped me narrow that down. But the whole like point of it was, and I still see this as, I'm going to be a New York Times bestselling author, one of the top speakers in the world. It will happen. I'm not at that point yet. Uh, speaking of, you are. <laughs> I still think there's many different le- more levels to get You're to. You're one of the best. Well, thank you. I think there's more levels to get to, but like I'm content where I'm at right now. Sure, I want to be further. But I also know that I'm not ready for that yet. If I was in front of 100,000 people just give, you know, giving a talk without slides, I don't know. Maybe I'm not ready for that point yet. And I'm a full believer in that God is going to put you in the spot you're supposed to be in. And when that time's right, he'll open that door. And if I spend my whole day stressing of like, well, why hasn't my book hit the New York Times? All my friends are doing it. Why hasn't mine? Mm-hmm. Or why am I not speaking on that stage or that stage? Then I'm just driving myself nuts yeah. because it's not my – we're all in different races, and that's not where my race is right now. So I think what sets you up in your career to be coaching CEOs and speaking at the highest levels because the athletes that you were working with were already the highest level performers in their craft. Right. right? They're already NBA players, which means they're the top 1% of 1% of 1%. Totally. And that's something that amateurs don't really comprehend, <laughs> that the worst NBA player is the oh, greatest God. player you've ever seen. Like oh my it, gosh. The greatest. Crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I'll never forget. I went to University of Arizona. And so, oh yeah. And I was there the year that they were competing for national championships. And, you know, Jason Gardner, Will Bynum, Luke Walton. Miles Simon, Luke Walton, yes. good friends of mine. Yes. yes. And so we'd play amateur basketball in the rec. And yeah. occasionally one of them would show up. Isaiah Fox is a good buddy. He worked yeah. with the Lakers. And they would show up. And these guys, some of them went pro, some did Salim Stoudemire. They're the greatest thing you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like, you're like, they don't miss. It's the greatest thing ever, and yet they either made made it or barely made it or performed. But point is, your athletes that you're mm. working with are already so high. Dude. So they don't need to be coached on the fundamentals as much as if you coached someone like me or a kid that mm. isn't a professional, right? So you're already dabbling in their brain. Mm-hmm. What was the common thing you saw amongst your athletes that 
maybe they didn't all struggle with, but kind of you leaned in and said, this is where I'm really adding the most value. Confidence, no doubt. There's absolutely no doubt about it that the high performers in any realm, but an MBA in my field, it's confidence. It's eliminating hesitation. And I don't think how uh, people know how powerful that is. Hesitation is a 0.01 second decision happens in your SMA, supplementary motor cortex, where you just you take the choice of, I'm not going to shoot it, or I'm going to shoot it no matter what Steph Curry mode. He misses 15 shots. He's shooting the 16th one the exact same way. How many people actually do that? Very, very few. So it's confidence. It's, it's essentially getting a player to believe in themselves wholeheartedly that they are at their top capacity. When they step on the floor every night, if you have a beaker of water, say it's you can have 100% capacity, most players are not stepping on that court with 100%. They're not. There's some type of doubt. They had a bad game before. They had something going on in their personal life. They're not stepping out there with that. Maybe the coach isn't giving them the green light, or you miss a shot, you look over at the coach, are you going to get pulled out? Like that, that, that really mm -hmm. it, it hurts your confidence. And then it's also in the moments during the game. What happens when you turn the ball over two times in a row? What happens when you miss five shots? Does that beaker of confidence go down? So it's how to step on the floor with 100% unshakable confidence, and then also how to perform under pressure when bad situations happen, when the storm comes, how to be calm in the eye of a hurricane. And that's hard to do. Very. It is very hard to do, and it's a constant, constant battle. Like I'll continually talk with the players that I've worked with or that I am currently working with, and, and that's it. Something happens in the game. How do you reset yourself, the snap of the fingers, back to the most confident self you can be in without – allowing the compounding effects of negativity to continue to bring you down and cause this self-doubt and ultimately the hesitation. And I love, I love how you just broke that down because while basketball is an easy example to see it in the form of a game, I think for us non-professional sports mm -hmm. athletes that deal with it in personal and professional worlds, it carries over longer because the game isn't 48 yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. So no I love point. that you brought that mindset to sure. coaching executives and speaking on stages to impact thousands and millions of people. What is the things that you mm. work on? And obviously we don't have uh, six months to go into them all, but <laughs> what would you say are like the few things that the audience who is listening, these CEOs, these entrepreneurs, these yeah. employees at companies that are trying to perform but maybe have some of these doubts – these parents that are dealing with confidence, like mm. we all deal with it. That is the thing, that hesitation, that 0 .01 mm. second. What are some steps? What are yeah. some things that you work on with your athletes and your clients that maybe we can start to apply immediately? Oh, that's good. Having a plan, having actionable goals. So not just vague goals. So I'll, I'll tell this story and it'll make, make sense on what I mean by having very specific strategic goals. So a player I started working with in 2018, Domatis Sabonis, he was playing with the Pacers at the time, coming off the bench. So he wasn't the Sabonis that if you know the NBA, you'll know who he is now. And he came into the Santa Monica gym, and I asked him what his goals are. And he said he wants to be great. Like, that's what everybody wants. That's extremely vague. What does great mean? So you need to de define your goals. You, just, you can't say, hey, I'm going to get in shape. Well, what does get in shape <laughs> mean? Like, how are you going to actually take those action steps towards it? So I said, let's define this, all right? Well, what does greatness mean to you? He says, I want to I be an all-star. He hadn't been an all-star. He's a three-time all-star now. He hadn't been an all-star. 
Like, okay, when do you want to be an all-star? He said 2020. So he gave it that 2019 season, 2020. It's like, where's the game? Chicago, Illinois. When's tip-off? 7.30 p.m. What's the date? February 18th. So we got so specific with the goals that he knew everything he did on a daily basis and his habits was going to lead towards that. He even put it on the lock screen of his phone where average Americans touch their phone 2,147 times a day. So all the times you see that. And we, we also strategically... I think this is a key point. We, we place it in different spots. So once your mind sees something for, on average, 11 days, it starts to turn it off. So think about that. If you've put something on your fridge, like a motivational quote, and I've got a lot of them up there, but I don't yeah. see them anymore. The first 11 days I did. So you have to continue to change it. Your mind starts getting used to things. You need to put it in different places as your mind evolves. So we put it you know, on his, in his car, different, different places. So he knew every single day he was going to do something that took one step forward closer to that goal. There was no ambiguity of it. He knew what his goal was going to be. 2020 comes around, February 18th, 7.30 p.m., Chicago, Illinois. DeMontis Sabonis is an NBA All-Star. Now, not because he set goals. Obviously, he put in the work. Sure. And like there was many what I call, and a friend of mine, Drew Hanlon, is a, is a great NBA trainer, calls the unseen hours. Like, Are you willing to put in the work? When there's no bright lights are you willing to put in the work when there's no instagram that's going to be posting about how hard you're getting your work in are you willing to do that and he was that's the insatiable drive that i talked about you have to have that type of insatiable drive so one of the biggest things is helping ceos figure out what are their goals for the company like and and the biggest thing and i'm working with a company that is Fortune 100 publicly traded and dealing with the street and dealing with the board. And there's so many different people that you have to appease and have on the same, uh, on the same vision. Like, how do you get your staff, everybody with the same mission together? No ego involved. So we created these non-negotiables. So athletes will have our non-negotiables for, okay, you have to train every day. You know, you have to work on your mindset. Like, you have your non-negotiables you're doing. For the company, it was there's no ego. Nobody in the company can have ego. I've worked with NBA teams and I've seen the good and I've <laughs> seen the bad. And ego is not just in the players, it's in the coaches, in the trainers, in, every in everybody single aspect. So getting everybody on the same page, but but one of the biggest uh, you know, just detachments that I saw is the, the actual communication. And I know that might sound basic, but the different areas of the company. They were not communicating with each other. Everybody was in their own lane and they weren't like, hey, what are you doing? How can I do this? How can I help you here? So some lanes were good. Some lanes weren't. Nobody knew what each other was doing. So getting everybody on the same page is one of the biggest culture enhancers there is. I mean, it's the same thing for marriage. Like if you don't communicate, like you're, like, that's going to be very, very difficult. And I know it sounds so easy, but it's not actually mm -hmm. that easy. And I've been blessed to spend time with Eric Spolster, one of my close friends, best culture, I think, in the NBA over the last 20 years in Miami Heat. And that's – I've taken a lot of principles for how they do it with the, with the no ego, non-negotiables, with every player that is on the team works with a different coach. It's not the same guy with the same guy because then you start feeling your ownership of that player and nobody else can touch him. It's a really weird type of thing. But they're, they're so invested in they are who they are, and they actually have this saying that we're not for everyone, and they embrace that. They have so, a dog mindset over there in Miami. Totally. I mean, they're, they're probably the best, for those who don't watch the NBA, they're probably the 
team that has exceeded their potential more on an annual year in yeah. and year out basis, regardless of what players are there. So that gets to that point. Spolstra and the staff, they empower players in their role so well. Same thing with companies and CEOs. You have to empower your people. You can't assume that they know what to do. You can't assume that they're going to be able to do the same thing that you have in your mind. You just can't. But they do such a great job of empowerment. Like they have players like Udonis Haslam, who was in the NBA for... He's still in the NBA. He's still in the NBA. Yeah, he's forever. But his role was to be the mentor to the younger mm -hmm. guys. They've got, like, they empowered Duncan Robinson. Like, all I want you to do is shoot threes. Don't worry about anything else. They'll have offensive rebounders. They'll have hustle guys. And it's the same thing with companies. You need to be able to empower your players, empower your people in the correct way, all on the same mission, same vision, with no ego. I love that. I agree. How, what is a, a for someone who's heard that and they go, I mean, that's it. That, that's the gospel, by the way. Rewind that. Listen to that again. <laughs> that is the path, right? That is how yeah. you do it as a CEO or a company. You build that culture. You do empower. Mm. What is something that you notice that maybe CEOs are doing that is adverse to that effect, to mm. that outcome, but they may not realize? Because I think it is so simple. And most yeah. of the things that make success happen are simple, <laughs> but we don't realize that we're not doing or we're doing so something good. that is against it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think it is just knowing what your ultimate strength is. So the CEOs that I've been around, it's, they're not always the best at building the business in terms of being the visionary. So if you're a visionary CEO, be the visionary CEO, but have some person or a COO or another CEO that knows how to build it, knows how to do their strength. So I think the biggest flaw is thinking that you can do too many things. Like the founder that also thinks they're a CEO. Mm -hmm. It's two very different skills. And it works that way for, for coaches too. Like, NBA head coaches that also think they're player development coaches. You, maybe you can do it, maybe, but you don't have the time to be able to do one thing great. And in the NBA and in high-level business, if, if you're just good in areas, you're not going to be in there for very long. You have to be great at one. Being great at one area is much better than being good at five areas. I mean, that's, that's profound. Because that's right. You have to be remarkable. You have to be the absolute yeah. best at your craft. Otherwise, you're just average. Totally. I grew up with this guy, Kyle Korver, in Pell, Iowa. Yeah. He's one of the top five NBA three-point shooters in history. He wanted to be everything. When he was in high school, he was a couple years older than me. When he was in college, he wasn't really recruited. He had one scholarship offer from Creighton because he was trying to be everything. Dana Altman sat him down and said, if you want to play here at this level of college, or even have a chance to play pro, all I want you to do is focus on being the best three-point shooter you can possibly be. So he did, and he did, and he did. Got drafted, barely got into the NBA in the second round. Second rounders, they last, I think it's like 6% of second rounders make it past three seasons, 6%, but he honed in that skill. Dude's not athletic, can't hardly dribble. I've done many workouts with him. Like, he's not slashing, but oh my gosh, can he shoot threes. Doesn't do many things great, does one thing great, had a long career, made over $100 million. There you go. You were pretty good at shooting threes. That's all I could do. You That's all I could do. It. So I, what I like to say, Jeff, is if Steph Curry would have been in the league earlier and changed the game because he transformed the way a game is played, yeah. which is remarkable, I would have had a chance. Hey, fitness fans, ready to crush your fitness goals? Make your move to EOS Fitness, where becoming a member starts at just $9.99 a month. Gyms are open 24-7 and packed with the latest gym equipment to keep your workouts fresh. What are you waiting for? Give them a call, drop by, or hit up jefffenster.com forward slash EOS to join. EOS Fitness, better gym, 
better price. Now, let's get after those goals. As an entrepreneur, I know how meaningful it is to invest in the people and causes that are close to me. And on GoFundMe, it's easy, safe, and powerful to do just that. Whether you're supporting a family member, friend, local business, or charity. And whenever you make a donation, you're protected by the GoFundMe giving guarantee. Visit GoFundMe.com today to help make a positive difference in your community. You did have, you, you, you did, because you did it your way. <laughs> you know, you, you paved the way for Steph. You Man, set the path for I, Steph to come in and do it. This is going out to all doctors. Do not tell someone they're going to be 6'6", six, six, unless they're actually 6'6". Six, six. <laughs> and whatever people think jump soles can do for you. Remember those jump oh, soles? Oh, yeah, gain four inches of vertical. Yeah, that's, that's, that's your 40 no, time. No, I need to sue that company. That ain't, that ain't where I didn't have we, we didn't get the extra bounce. <laughs> you were Vince Carter Duncan. We didn't have any bounce, man. We didn't have any bounce. <laughs> well, what 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 made you so good at shooting threes? It's just the just repetition, repetition, repetition. But before that, let me preface. I watched. The way I learned how to shoot was not some that I didn't pay some trainer a bunch of money to work me out. I went in my driveway and I shot, but I watched the best shooters. I'd watch NBA games. Back then the Utah Jazz were my team. I know all the Bulls fans like, "Why would you like the Jazz?" Well, I thought Stockton I could be John Stockton mm -hmm. and Jeff Hornacek. So I'd watch their form. I'd see it. I'd emulate it. I'd do it. Now in like sports, basketball play, I can I cannot figure out one of my biggest pet peeves, how somebody can have a bad shot. Just watch. I tell people, watch Clay Thompson. You want to be a good shooter? Watch him. The best. Fundamentally, he's incredible. Fundamentally amazing. But he's not better than Steph. No, he's not. But Steph is an anomaly. So when people so here's the here's the thing that people have wrong. Kids will try to be Steph. You can't be Steph unless you've shot eight trillion shots the way that Steph has shot those mm -hmm. shots. And even then you're not Steph. And then you're not. Because he also has that that never hesitates, unshakable It's a very, very rare breed. It's the Malcolm Gladwell mm -hmm. outliers. Thompson, the perfect form. So I would watch it, and then I'd do it, and I would do it, and I would do it, and I would, like, I mean, 10,000 hours was, blew that away. Well, then explain Draymond Green to me, because he can't shoot. And he, he is surrounded by them, though. He is, he knows he's his played role. with these guys forever. He totally has. And but he still can't hit a three. He can't hit a three, but he knows his role so well. He knows why he's in the NBA. He's the enforcer. Yes. You know why he leans into, like, they don't care if he gets technicals. Yeah, or chokes. Or choke. They just players. do not actually care. They might say they do in the media, but that's his enforcing yeah, he's role. An intimidator. Intimidator. But you don't think he's player. worked on that? Because if he could hit a three, they would never lose. Yeah. Yeah. He has, I mean, I'm sure he's worked at it. And he's gotten, he's improved. But I also believe that people have certain, everybody has attributes, yep. but they have certain capacity for their potential. So his capacity to be a great shooter is a lot less than Clay Thompson or Steph Curry. Maybe he's getting close to there. Maybe he's not. But there's certain players that just won't have it. I've worked with players who are so stiff in their upper body, like you're only going to get to a certain level. But then there's other players who I can just tell they have that gene. They have the fluidity about mm -hmm. them. Like, we can make you great. So you talk a lot about confidence. Mm. I love that word. So I'm mm. going to ask you a question that you yeah. asked me once. What does confidence mean to you? Confidence is belief. It's self-belief with the ability to flip on and take action at any moment. Okay. And what self-belief? What creates the environment inside of somebody to have the self-belief, mm. to turn that on and mm. not hesitate? Ooh, there's so many things that go into it. So I think confidence gets a bad rap. 
because it's so closely involved with ego, with, you know, self-centeredness, where it's just kind of bordering that line. But then there's also the other side of, well, you're not confident and you're you're shy, you're not willing to. So it's just in that fine line dance of it. And there's so many things that go into building someone's unshakable confidence. And it is the people that you surround yourself with is a huge, huge one. Think about this. I know you surround yourself with people who are go-getters. They're driven. They're not going to be energy suckers who are, you're going to say, hey, I've got this idea to start this company that I've never done before. I have no idea how to do it. They're like, yeah, man. Okay, let's do this. You're going to do it. I'm going to introduce you to this person, this person. Most people would be the other way. So you eliminate those type of people. Now, I'm not saying you don't ever, you just say, hey, high school friends, I'm never going to talk to you again. You just don't have to give them the time, mm -hmm. even family. I think that with family too. Family is what you're born into. You love them, but yep. you don't always have to give everybody the time in that. So the people that you surround yourself with and understanding what your strength is, like I don't say just follow your passion. You got to follow your strength. You have a gift. Everybody has a gift. Figure out what that gift is and hone it and hone it. You're going to gain a lot of confidence through the preparation and the practice you put into, the, into it. So it's a double win. Mm -hmm. You're not only improving at it, but you're also putting in that preparation that's going to give you the confidence on there. And, and then you got to do it. You, you, you can talk about, hey, I'm going to visualize this. And there's real power in visualization. I'm a big believer in you visualize the best result that you want and also visualize the worst case scenario. George Mumford, who was Kobe and, and Jordan's mental coach, a very good friend of mine, he said that that's what Kobe and Jordan would do before they went on the floor every game. They'd visualize the, the, the way they would want to see it happen. But then they'd also visualize when the storm hit. How are they going to react in that moment? So visualization, yes, great piece for sure, but it's the actual doing it. It's the learning through the fire. I went to business school when I was since I transferred when I was playing, playing basketball. I can't tell you anything I remember <laughs> from business school. I learned it all through doing it. So yeah. there's, there's a lot more things in there. Um, I mean, it's the... There's confidence through serving mentality, through taking the pressure off yourself where it's not about you. How are you going to serve somebody else? There's confidence through comparison. There's confidence through Kobe did it to Jordan. He's like, I'm going to watch him and do everything that he did, that he does. There's confidence through redefining vocabulary. I think that's a really important one where we've just been trained since kids of like success means this, failure means this, rich means this. But those are just words that our brains have been wired to think. We literally can choose whatever we want something to actually mean. So there's confidence through that. And there's a, a, a lot more that goes into it. But the main things are <clears throat> the people that you surround yourself, honing in, developing your strengths, and putting a ton of preparation and practice and practice into it. <clears throat> I love that you said who you surround yourself with because you're right. You show somebody your group that you hang with, and you will be the average of that type of environment. Because if you're around people who are pessimistic, think the world is small, victim mindset, no opportunity, mm -hmm. don't believe that they can improve, you're, you don't have a support staff, people to motivate, incentivize, and see that it's possible. And I've mentioned a few times on the show, and, and their episode will be out soon, um, or it's already out when this one airs. The Mathis twins, they have this phrase that they've coined called exposure leads to expansion. Mm. And that until you expose sure. your mind and yourself to what's possible, you can't expand to believe that that's there. And it's like the four-minute mile, which mm -hmm. most people know the story, but it was impossible for a human right. to run four minutes for a mile until Bannister did it. And sure. then it was like everyone did it everyone right after. Like all the people who were right there because they, they know it's now possible. Yeah. And so you need to surround yourself with those humans. And if you're not that kind of person yet, 
the people you want to be around mm. don't want to be around you yet. So you've got to control you to then attract those people to then start Man. to build that. And so I love that you went there because I think it's so underserved in how important it is that people improve. And I say that word not because we don't love the humans that maybe aren't that, but improve their circle of influence, that sphere yeah. of people they spend time with. Yeah. And, and I know you talk about this and I do as well as people will say, well, how do you get these friends? How do you get these type of people? Well, you lead with some type of value. My biggest pet peeves too, I know I'm talking about a lot of pet peeves, is when someone messages me like, hey, can I pick your brain? <laughs> don't ever say, can I pick your brain? I don't know you, not in a bad way. I'd love to get to know you, but lead with value or say, hey, how did you get to where you're at? Do you, we have a week where I'm just going to tell you my whole mm -hmm. story. If you lead with some type of value, even if you're like, I don't have value, well, go serve them. Go say, can I help you with whatever you're doing? Or maybe you have some connections or maybe you know something that can be value. And don't expect anything in return. There's givers and there's takers. Ultimately, you don't want to be around takers. We know takers. Well, we'll pour into them. I poured into a lot of people. Got nothing back. Not even a thank you. But that's okay because there's going to be a lot of people that will reciprocate that. And you don't do it for that anyways. But that's how you get into those type of rooms and those around those type of people. And it takes a long time relationships are a long game. Mm -hmm. I hate the term networking because that's a dirty like, oh, I got to, you know, I got to get in this room. I got to talk to this person. No, build relationships with them. And I learned that. So uh, one of my best friends is Jeremy Lin. He taught Lin me. Sanity. Lin Sanity. He taught me that. When I started working with him years ago, I'd always like try to sneak a, you know, a selfie or a video and you post it on social media so it looked like, man, I'm the man, you know, Jeremy. We sat down one time. And he's like, David, I feel like you're using me. I feel like you're using me for your gain. And I was like, ooh, like that that yeah. did not feel good. <laughs> it's like I'd much rather have a relationship with Jeremy where we're 80 years old, drinking lemonade on the front porch and, and, and chatting and talking than I would to use him for a quick try to gain. And you get more from it. I mean, I can speak from personal experience because I do a lot of deals with athletes, yeah. with Everbowl and some of our other stuff. And one of the questions always in the contract is, well, what do you expect them to do? Social media wise, how many posts? And I was going, I don't, zero. Nice. I want authenticity only. So if they want nice. to share Everbowl, share Everbowl. And, you know, Drew Brees, he's a big partner of ours and zero obligatory stuff. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to show up to anything. He doesn't have to post anything. He was the keynote speaker at a big franchise conference. And he was talking about all franchises. And I get these messages. Drew Brees just spent the last three minutes talking about you and Everbowl. <laughs> I didn't even know. I wasn't there. I didn't know yeah. he was doing it. And there was no obligation because it. we built a relationship. He's a yeah. friend. He loves the brand. So he yeah. wants to help. And Jeremy wanna. wants to help. He right. just doesn't want to feel you. <laughs> yeah. And I think that there's so much yes. truth to that as you're building these relationships. And if I was going to reach out to David Nurse because I want to learn from the great master, <laughs> I wouldn't say, can I pick your brain? And I wouldn't say, tell me your story. What I would say is, I watched some of your content. I yes. was fascinated by this point that you made. Oh, I want to go deeper because I want to understand a little bit more about this. Money. So now I've demonstrated that I've invested mm -hmm. time into learning about your message. I've spent time consuming your content, and I want more of you. You are way more likely to say, absolutely, let's schedule a call. I'm happy to help. Totally. Versus, can I pick your brain? I don't follow you. I've never watched you, but I know the allure of you, and I want to be in the room with you. They're just a different approach to it. Man, Yes, exactly. You're hitting it spot on. And a couple cheat codes or hacks, if you want to call them. Like if someone's put a lot of time into something, i.e. a book, find something in the book that has had an impact on you, post it, tell them, buy somebody's book. Say, hey, I bought five books 
for all my closest friends. That doesn't cost much, but if I see that and people have done that, like, oh, I'm tuned in. Mm -hmm. I want to have a conversation with you. I want to be around you. It's the little things mm -hmm. like that that just make a huge, huge difference. It's the entirety between getting the relationship and not. Absolutely. And I, I mean, we all are on social media. We all have had that. But do you know how many people yeah. hit me up? I love your stuff. They don't even follow me. <laughs> I'm like, how many people did you copy and paste this to? That's the Like, you don't worst. even follow my content. How did you love my stuff? That is the worst. Man. What do you need to pick my brain for? Yeah. What are you yeah. selling me? Yeah. I don't want to be sold. And people don't want to be sold. Man. And so I think relationships are so important. Yeah. There is something you talk about. You have a hand... Pro uh, oh, yeah. Whole hand process. Yeah, process is the right yeah, yeah, word yeah. that you use before you walk in any room. Totally. Yeah. Can you share that with yeah. our audience? So this is what I talk about when I give, give talks. I give actionable. So I'm a really big believer on giving actionable items, tools to be able to use. Instead of talking about concepts, philosophies, you need to have action with it. So in the service mode, the, the tool that I give with your hands, because your hands are with you at all times. You have your hands. They're with you. They're a tool you have in your back pocket. When you enter a room, look at the back of your hands and say, serve. When you say serve, it is going to put you in the mindset that you're going to serve the people in the room, where most people walk in a room, let's say, will walk on a stage, and you're concerned about yourself. How are you going to look? How are people going to view you? Who might you meet there? And you're only worried about you. So when you say the word serve, you're worried about serving other people. What that does, it alleviates any pressure that it's about you, because when we put pressure on ourselves, when, you know, when you, I've had those moments when I step on stage and I think I need to perform. They're usually not my good talks. <laughs> They're not. But it's, it's the, this, the service mentality that you have by looking at your hand. It's just a cue. It's a cue reminder for that. And you end, up, you end up meeting the right people that you're supposed to meet. It's the worst thing, too, when someone goes into a room and you're know, having that conversation there. Well, who's behind mm -hmm. you? Who's behind? It happens all the time. But if you just stay focused on that, just that service mentality. So that's... That's one of them with the hands. I've got some other hands, confident ones. And uh, one I really like is snapping your fingers. So I think it's, it's really hard for people to, you know, when, when the tides are turning, to be able to stop and reset. Resets are so important because once negative momentum builds, it's almost like, oh, okay, the whole day has gone to downward spiral. But the snap is just a trigger to your subconscious that I'm going to stop. So S is stop. Okay, pause. It's like the matrix. Everything stops. It freezes. Notice. Okay, I'm going to notice my surroundings. What's going on here? A is assess. Now I'm assessing the situation. Why is this happening? Why am I feeling this way? Why is my boss yelling at me? Why is my kid throwing a frying pan at my head? <laughs> Be ever what it may. And then the P is pivot. And the pivot is just a small turn in perspective. Change is daunting. Pivots are easy. But that small change in perspective, a basketball term, you have all the de defense on you, you pivot, now it's wide open spaces. So you just snap the fingers. It can just be a cue you have when anything is going crazy or the fire's coming and you stop, notice, assess, pivot. And when you get that down, you have that power of that tool to know, okay, no matter what bad happens to me, boom, snapping my fingers and I'm okay. That is so good. That is so good. <laughs> I'm going to have to use that now. You're going to, people, I'm going to be walking down the street just with a little beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the beat going. I've given it to NBA players. Like, I'll watch them and then you'll see them do it into the game. It's because it's so, it's so actionable in the moment. You need actionable. You need, actionable in the moment is everything. Yes. I, it's a, here we go. More pet peeves. I'm sorry, Jeff. Bring them. You don't know, like when, when there's, there's writers or speakers and they're just so above, like 
philosophical and all this and this and stoic and like, okay, cool, but break it down to the simple. I think the best communicators are the ones who, yeah, have different points that they're not regurgitating, but then how do you help people actually put them into action? Because it's one thing like we're talking about on my show of there's a lot of knowers. People will just consume content, but how do you move them to doing mm -hmm. is the difference maker. And I, that's the 1%. That's the 1%. The world is run by the 1% who mm -hmm. do. Yeah. Because, you know, that's those who do, do. It's totally. that simple. Yeah. And it's you just do stuff yeah. where others aren't. You win. And you know what a lot of people think, too, is they're like, oh, well, they're in that top 1% because they were born into it. No, 80% of millionaires are first-generation millionaires. Their people aren't born in it. I do it when we're walking on the beach. I'm like, how do these people get these houses? Mm -hmm. Oh, they were born into it. No, probably not. No, because normally the kids that inherit it lose it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You know, what is that? There's that saying. It says, uh, and I think it's not as politically correct because they use the word men, but it's strong yeah. men create good times. Good times create, no, good times create, I don't, I'm going to butcher it now. Damn it. No, I know what good. you're saying. The middle kind of, they'll kind of keep it afloat. Yes. And then by the third generation, it's yes. gone. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just because they don't understand what it took to get there. Totally. They don't value it. They don't totally. understand it. And the truth is, the most talented people in this world achieve very little. Because they haven't had to build young. When yeah. you are really good at something young, right out the gates, you're really smart. School's easy. You're really athletic, so you don't have to practice the fundamentals. Sports are easy. It's, it's almost a detriment. Because early on, you're performing so good when you're competing against everyone when we're all bad at it because we're just learning. Mm -hmm. But then as you try to move up the ranks and you're more talented than everyone else, the people, the men and women who put in the hard the work, you know, as, as Anthony Truck says, the dark work, and when no one's looking, yeah. and as they're putting in all that effort and cutting their teeth and doing the reps and the 10,000 hours, they're now more talented and skilled-wise, but they lack the raw talent or ability so you have all these exceptionally talented, smart, brilliant humans that mm -hmm. never fulfill their potential because they haven't had to work on their craft. Mm. It came too easy. So good, man. And so that's why I think you're right. Oh. I don't think it's the top 1% that achieve it. Well, I think people really need to understand that of like the talent does it can get you indoors, but it's not going to win in the long run. The amount of NBA players that I've worked with who have been undrafted or second-round picks that have much better careers than top 10 picks, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. I've been around... Joshua Jackson, number three pick in the NBA, out in three years, did not have that type of drive. But then there's players like the Norm Powell, Jeremy Lin, Kyle Korver, second rounders. Bill Billy undrafted. Kobe, Austin Reeves. Austin, yeah, exactly. Love him. It's a very rare. Yeah, he's great. His swag. Like, yes. that's confidence, man. Yeah, yeah. That's confidence. Undrafted? Totally. Yeah. Just signed a $50 million contract? But that's it, right? I mean, it's 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 that type of drive that that gets you there. And it's... A very rare person like a LeBron who has incredible talent and incredible drive. You don't see that much at all. That, They're the LeBrons. That's the LeBrons. Yep. And it's rare, and you don't have to compare yourself to that. No. Because Pepsi's a great company. He may not be Coca-Cola, but Pepsi's a great company. Sure. So you may uh, – I say it all the time. I'm a, And I say it on stage. It's kind of one of my go-to lines. But I believe it. I'm an ordinary guy. I don't have that extreme intelligence or any of those – rare gifts that an Elon Musk or a Bezos or, mm. you know, Zuckerberg have. But I figured out what extra stuff to get extraordinary mm. results, and it's duplicatable mm. by everybody. And if you are, if you do what I do, and you're more raw, have more raw talent, you're going to be Coke, I'm going to be Pepsi. You'll beat me. 
Yeah. I beat most more people who are more talented than me just because I'm going to outwork them. Yep. I have a process. I yep. follow it again and again. And so Bingo. it's obtainable for everybody. And it's really hard to get super talented people to put in that work because they've never had to. Totally. And they don't know what that process is. Yep. Yep. Someday I want to write the book of the best gene to have. When I'm saying males, it can be the same for females, is but that athlete who wasn't the super talented one was on the bench or got cut and had to work their butt off for it. Small dog syndrome. Small dog syndrome. There it is. There's the title right yeah. there. But that's the gene. Yeah. That's it because you have that. I mean, that's built into you. Because you had to work for everything. Yeah. yeah. And work doesn't – work is a scary word. It doesn't mean right. that you have to spend 10,000 hours every single year to do something. It mm. just means that you have to put in more effort than it made someone else to get the same result. And, you know, I we talked about Kobe Bryant, but one of my favorite Kobe Bryant stories I heard him say is when he was a kid, he went to the summer camp, and he didn't score a single point the entire summer. Not one. He missed every shot. He didn't get a lucky free throw. Nothing. And he said he went home, and he realized, okay, I have to put in the work. Mm. And he spent – like, he didn't score – Kobe Bryant That's crazy. of all humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's out of his mouth. Yeah. He didn't score a single point for an entire summer playing basketball. Because he was not as good as everyone else. He was smaller than they were. All these things. And so he started to put in the work. Mm. And he's like, I'm going to play the long game. I'm going to beat him when they're 18. He ended up beating him when they were 12. Yeah. Because yeah. he put in the work. And that's the difference. Dude. So good. So good. Can I we jump it. into a couple Kobe stories? Can Please. I tell you a couple Kobe So on that, when he was in high school, so this came from Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly, the, the UCLA football mm -hmm. coach. And he was telling a story of him and Rip Hamilton, Richard Hamilton, when they were in high he school. Pistons. So it was like the the ratings tournament in the summer. So all the people that would give the top 100 ratings. So Richard Hamilton's telling Kobe's, he's like, Kobe, like, hey, if you play well at this tournament, you're going to be rated in the top 100. Richard Hamilton plays great, phenomenal. It gets rated like number three or four or something like that. Kobe doesn't get rated. And he shoots every shot with his left hand does everything with his left hand. And Richard Hamilton's like, dude, what are you doing? Why did you do that? He's like, here's the difference. You want to be the best right now in your class. I want to be the best of all time. And I was like, oh, my gosh. He was like goosebumps. 15 or 16 at that time. And then when he was in the pre-draft, so a good friend of mine, I used to coach for the Nets. One of my best friends who actually married Taylor and I and brought me out here from UCLA, used to coach for the Nets before me. And Kobe was doing pre-draft. So this is where the – Guys who are going to go into the NBA, they go to all these different teams and workouts, and they're brutal workouts. Like, I used to run some of these for the Nets, and they're like, just kill them. Like, see what they're made of. See what their will is. So you don't want to do extra work after it. Like, nobody does extra work. But there was this one teenage guy. This is what Ed Schilling, my friend, was telling me. He stayed because he couldn't get this one move down. So Ed stayed with them for 45 minutes after, and they just mastered one footwork move, some kind of step back thing that he wanted to work on. 45 minutes after a grueling workout, it was Kobe Bryant, built differently. Mm -hmm. my, one of my favorites is actually from Jason Williams, former Duke Blue mm, Devil. Yeah, He was saying that he was, he was young in the league. They were playing the Lakers, and he's like, all right, I'm showing up against Kobe. I, I really want to impress. So he got to the gym, and he's like, I got to the gym like four hours early to, right yeah. before the game, you know, and I get there, and Kobe's in a deep sweat. Like he is oh, drenched. Yeah. Yeah. So he's been there working. You know, and I, he's like, Jason, he's like, I got into my workout. I worked out for about an hour, hour and a half. Didn't pay attention. I get done, and I'm walking out of the gym, and Kobe's still at it, 100%. So I'm like, that's strange. So I go in, and I, I leave. I go to the game and uh, play the game, and I think Kobe dropped 40 on him or something. 
So after the game, he goes up to Kobe and he's like, Kobe, I just, you know, I don't, I have to know, like, you know, I got here early. I wanted to see this. And Kobe said, I just want you to know that no matter how, I, I saw you come in and I wanted you to know that no matter how hard you work, I will outwork you. And he's like, this is Kobe Bryant, like an MVP, a yeah. final, a champion, a finals MVP. And he's saying that to me, a young kid. He just wanted to basically put the fear of God in me totally. right now that no matter what I do, I will not no be him. That's exactly I, just, it. I was like, wow, what, oh. what a story. Oh, he's got the best stories. Yeah. So but many he lives and embodies the fulfillment of potential. Because Kobe yeah. was, I mean, listen, yeah. he's 6'7". Yeah. He's an athlete. But he'll yeah. tell you, I didn't have the biggest hands. He didn't have Michael Jordan-sized hands. Right. He didn't have Vince Carter-sized jumps. He wasn't right. Allen Iverson quick. Right. He wasn't the greatest shooter. Right. Yeah, totally. But he maximized his potential, which we can all apply in business and life. And, you know, we're talking a lot of basketball because you are the man from the NBA. But those listening who maybe aren't involved in basketball, how do you apply this? You apply the same principles to your day-to-day -day life. Totally. In whatever field you're in. Yep. And the, the greatest thing about it, too, is it's not a race. There's no end. There's no mountaintop that you're going to hit that's going to fulfill you. It's at that same dinner with Chip Kelly, Eric Spolstra, and another good friend, Sean McVay, who coaches the Rams, was there. And I was just soaking this in, man. It's like a mm -hmm. master class. He's a genius, by the way. Oh. Sean McVay knows every play they've ever. I mean, he's Dude. got that photographic or whatever kind of memory it's called. And, and a phenomenal leader. Like, we could go in a whole leadership from that, from that dinner alone. But they both said, so get this. This is when I was like, okay. I knew this, but it's it just brings it home even more. Spolstra, top 10 NBA coach history, multiple championships. He said he was at his lowest point after he won his first championship, was depressed, wanted to quit. After he won his championship, which is the paramount, epic, you know, mountaintop, McVeigh openly came out and almost retired mm -hmm. after he won his championship because they thought that was going to fill them. Now they've realized it's about much more. It's about the people over just the results. But the great thing is it's there, there literally is no race to this, and there's nothing that's going to be like, oh, I've made it. I'm done. It's well, over. The, the result that we all aspire to, because I used to have that same issue. I In my head when I was young, I'm like, I'm going to make a million dollars. The day I make a million dollars, I'm going to be the happiest. I've, I mean, uh, my whole world. And when you achieve it, what you realize is, You've built it up so big in your brain, in your mind, in your vision, in your soul. It doesn't fulfill that. But what no. you come to learn is the process of getting it, the yeah. person you have to become to get it, the journey to get there, the trials, the tribulations, the successes, the moments. That's actually the fulfilling side. And so the fear is once you For get sure. it, how do you duplicate that? Yep. How do you bring back that same level of enjoyment because you've done it? And I think we mentioned this off air, but you know, my favorite Michael Jordan quote, Staying on the basketball theme is, I think it was after his fifth championship when they said, "What's your favorite championship, Michael?" And he said, "The next one." Totally, yeah. which makes you realize that it's not about the end result; it's not the mountaintop. And I think too often we spend so much focus saying, "When I get to this, when I accomplish this, Never. when I receive this," you fail to realize that the power of life is the journey to receive this and yeah. get it. And hopefully, you do so many more that you get to the top of the mountain and realize, "Oh my God, that's just my stepping stone to the next mountain." Absolutely. And that's where true success in anything comes. Parenthood, relationships, financial, health and wellness, business, teaching, yeah, coaching. And, and what you know, too, of true success is not how bright your light shines, but how bright you help others shine theirs. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's when the flip of the switch is, is made. And I know a lot of people listening are like, well, you guys can say that because you've both been successful in your fields. No, that is literally it. 
that's where you get the most joy of helping somebody start their first ever bowl. Mm -hmm. That you probably get fired up if I see one of my players have a good game or you know the stock go up for the company that I'm working with. Like that fires me up because yep. it's how you shine other people's lights. And we're we're just built that way as human beings. We like to totally. be in communities. We're we're not meant to be solos. Yep. Some of us might be individually, but the masses, we're all more meant to be part of a community and grow together and win together and team mindset. So I would, I have to ask because I know you don't have one, but two <laughs> Guinness World Records. Are right, you ready for the story? So this I might, uh, this might let you down a little bit, but it might be even like, hey, that's even cooler. I'm gonna go with it's gonna be cooler. All right, lay all right, it that's, on. That's me. how I like it too. So when I was starting to run basketball camps, like all I could do was shoot, and I had to, you know, like make myself the best shooting coach. I wanted the camps to do well. I wanted to. My goal was to become an NBA shooting coach. And it was a five-year journey to get there. So like, I got to do something that you know, makes me stand out. So I'm all about hitting singles daily and then taking massive home run swings wherever I can. This was one of those. I looked up what the YouTube world record for most threes made in a minute with one basketball is. It was 19. Like, I can do this. So I got my friend. The key is in the rebounder. The ball hit the floor. So you like, can have a rebounder. Oh, yeah. One okay. ball, but okay. the rebounder has to pass it back to you. Okay. So the key is not like the ball hit the floor like one time, but I broke it. So I hit, hit 20. So I put it up there as Guinness World Record on YouTube. It was catching fire, Guinness World Record. ESPN picks it up and they play it. And you know how they stream it and mm -hmm. stuff. So it was this Guinness World Record shooting coach. So it just became known as a Guinness World Record. So I did it again in five minutes, where it was like 82 out of 90 with one ball. 82 was the 81 it, was the record. Uh, there wasn't even one. Oh, you so made I just, it. I just, yeah, I just said it. So now I got into this like, well, if that's going to catch on as a Guinness, I'm going to do another Guinness mm -hmm. World Record. weren't official. There wasn't an official person there, but it got known as that. And it caught that, and it was it was probably like five years ago. And this was the validation piece for me. I get a random email from Guinness, the official Guinness. I'm like, hey, we see this record on YouTube. This hasn't been officially stamped. If you want to have it at Guinness, you got to do it again with official Guinness. Like, that's all I needed to know. Yeah. If Guinness is going to reach out to me, then I know it's a record. So did you do it again? I haven't done it again. I'm actually going to do it at some point. Oh, I just haven't you, done it again. you got to do it again. I know. We should do it. We should hold me to that. I am holding okay. you to it. I think this I can get 21. to hold you to it. I think I can get 21. We'll do it around 20. like a... An 83 and 5. Yeah, you have to be both. You have to actually okay. beat your own record. Okay, that's got to be the it. that's got to be the yeah, threshold. Yeah. See, I can, I I know I can do it. We're we're on the court. Top of the key, shoot? stand. That's no you. movement. No, top of the key. Don't give me movement. Is that the Spot easiest three? For me, it is. Corner three in the NBA is the shortest. Yeah, but with the background backdrop, top of the key. Top of the key. Well, how many do you think you could do in ten minutes? Ten minutes. Mm -hmm. Good question. Probably tire a little. Tire a little, but it's when you you start getting in the zone. Like you black out. Like it's the, the flow state where you're you're shooting and you just you stop thinking. It's a beautiful feeling. Yeah. I used to do that just for clearing my mind. I'd just go shoot hoops because I knew it could just you know, just let it up. I'd say if if I had eighty two, I'm gonna go hundred and fifty. Hundred and fifty. So why don't we do three records? All right, let's do three records. You gotta do one minute, five minute, ten minute. Perfect. I think I that, mean we gotta set it up. We gotta set it up. Okay. I'm we'll totally pick down. a gym. We'll we'll bring out some some press, some Guinness yeah. people. All right, let's pump do it around a couple book launches <sighs> or something it. like that. Just get a bunch of meat. Yeah, I love okay, it. Okay, there it is. You heard it here. You heard it here. And I want you all to hold David accountable. I can't, yep. When somebody challenges me, I'm in. Okay. And before I let you wow. leave for my audience, I have to ask, what are David's non-negotiables for yourself? 
on a daily basis, weekly, monthly, yearly, I don't care, but just yeah, what are those things great. that you say, this is what I do no matter what? Absolutely. Start the day off. It's, it, I'm always giving the first 30 minutes to God, and that is reading a devotional. It could be reading a Bible verse. It could be some type of thing. It could be just sitting there in quiet prayer time, but that is my non-negotiable no matter where I'm at. It starts with giving my time to God. And I would like to say that I hear him speaking to me, but I've never heard him audibly speaking to me. But you feel like you get like you get direction and stuff from those points. That's a non-negotiable. And pouring into my wife is an absolute non-negotiable. I always in my morning journaling time, it's how can I pour into my wife? What does that look like for today? Is it just listening? Is it something we're gonna do? That's an absolute non-negotiable. So those two are the biggest. And then for me, like it's movement, it's exercise. It is the, I tell people this, if if you could take a pill that would give you more energy, it would give you more clarity, more drive, better health, better sleep, literally better everything, would you take it? And they're Absolutely. like, yeah, of course, it's exercise. Mm -hmm. So I make that a daily staple as well. So it's God, my wife, exercise. Those are the big coffee, for sure, coffee, yeah. <laughs> Those yeah. are the biggest staples. I've never felt closer to you than I do right now. <laughs> I live off coffee. I don't trust people that don't like coffee. I don't it's, get it. It's weird. If you tell me you're a tea drinker, I'm like, Ugh, you can do tea after coffee, but right? But not just tea. Coffee run like if you took my blood, yeah, you could probably fill up a coffee mode. So I this, drink a lot of so coffee. I've been throwing a lot of like you know company invention ideas for you. Can we get a coffee IV? Can we like IV it into my veins? I mean, I do like the taste though. <laughs> I do too. I do too. I do like the taste. But I feel like IV, you get it even more of the hit. Well, David, this has been incredible. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you are one of my favorite speakers because you just Thanks, hit it at man. the beginning when you said it's not just about the overarching philosophy and the make you feel good, but you leave people with actionable steps to improve. And I think that's why you've been hired by so many NBA teams and players. I think that's why so many CEOs like to hire you as, as their coach and, and business leaders. I think that's why you speak at so many conferences. And so you're not just there to make me feel like I can do it. You actually give me a roadmap to do it. And I try to emulate that myself when I'm speaking. And so I think that that is a, what people need. They need the actual step-by-step -step directions. When you buy the thing, open it up, step one, what do mm -hmm. I do? Like mm -hmm. That's what people need and want. Great. And I love that you do that. And you do it at such a high level that for those watching and learning about David for the first time, if you're not immediately following him and consuming his content, you're missing out. I learn from Thanks, you man. every day. I watch <laughs> your stuff. Um, I, it's been a, an effort for us to make this happen yeah. because of the scheduling, but I'm so glad and I'm so bummed when I missed you when we were both in Dallas. Ah, yeah. um, but David, thank you so much for coming and pouring yourself into the audience and sharing all that wisdom, that knowledge. Just a huge fan, and I want to thank you. Jeff, thank you for this opportunity. And thank you for having me down. And that felt like it was like five minutes. I know. I, I almost wish we could do oh. it. You know, we're going to do another one. I would love a to round do round two. One. I'm telling you. Like I told you on my uh, on our podcast episode that it's a man crush bromance. It's on. It Dude, is on. Thank you. My man. Thank you so much for listening. If you're looking to level up your relationship capital game, then take a minute and text the word Jeff to 33777 for a free copy of my Network to Millions playbook. The link will also be provided in the show notes below. See you guys next time.